got that Holy Ghost prophetic knack. And uh, him and Randy took off. I think they could have just took off for a while and gone and gone and gone. You know, that kind of presence is, it births things. There are things that God allows to come forth that you never realized. And I thought, man, I might just prophesy a little bit tonight. I tell you, it was so good. And, you know, it's, you get into that vein of worship and God speaks. I wrote music when I had that kind of uh, presence. And uh, I sang better when I wrote those songs in the Holy Ghost. But uh, God um, is just so rich and full. Well, we've been talking about forgiveness, haven't we? I kind of chicken scratched a few notes. Philip asked me if I had notes. I said, no, just go to John chapter 11, you know, and that'll work. But I do have a little story I want to read to you. This is part five of moving past forgiveness. How many of y'all need to forgive some people? You know, it's a, it's a never-ending situation because the devil will try to cause you to remember what somebody has said or what somebody has done and it irritates you frustrates you and it causes your body to react your heart rate elevates and you know your blood pressure will go up and it's just not healthy to let anger seethe inside of you, not let it boil, you know, like a boiling pot. Uh, you got to forgive. You just, a lot of people, I told you that story about the woman said, I said, you got to forgive your mother who had died 10 years before because she talked like she was just around the corner. And I said, well, where is this woman? She said, she's been dead for 10 years. I said, well, Sister Rebecca, you're letting a dead person control your life. You know, 10 years after she passed, I said, she had a lot of power over you. I said, you should give the Holy Spirit the right to have that kind of power over you. And uh, she said, well, how do I forgive? I don't feel like it. I said, you don't do it because you feel like it. You do it by faith. You have to say, I forgive her. I said, well, pretend I'm your mother. And she looked at me, and I knew I didn't look like her mother, but she scrunched up her face and said, I forgive you. I said, that's a step. Because once you forgive, it's not that you forget. You know, God forgives, and He can forget. He said He forgets your sin as far as the east is from the west when He forgives you. We don't forget so easily. We want that forgiveness. We want that feeling of freedom and lightness. But uh, only the Holy Spirit can give you that feeling of lightness and the spirit. But anyway, we're dealing with part five, and it's I'm going to talk a little bit about disappointments. How many know that uh, your disappointments in others, that hinders you? You get disappointed. You know, a father promises a son or, or that he's going to take him fishing, and then the day comes and the sun's ready, got his ball cap, got his little tackle box and his fishing rod, and then the father says, well, I'm sorry, i got to work today, or whatever. And it never that day never comes. And the son gives up. He's just overwhelmed with sadness and disappointment. But uh, you got to allow the forgiveness to bathe you so that you can get beyond that place called disappointment. I'll read you a little story and it's a, 
I've been enjoying telling you a little bit of history. But this is a memorial to the bow weevil. I don't know if y'all have ever heard about a bow weevil before. But in the small town of Enterprise, Alabama, there is a statue of a bow weevil in the center of the main street. It simply says, a memorial to the bow weevil. At one time, cotton was king in Enterprise. Because it provided a cash crop each year for the farming center, hundreds of bales of cotton were hello were sold each year and manufacturers turned cotton into cloth and textile mills cotton is a source of cellulose products fertilizer fuel plastic reinforcing automobiles uh, tire cord pressed paper, cardboard, cotton, wheat, seed oil, uh, used in cooking, cosmetics, soaps, candles, detergents, paints, oilcloth, and artificial leather, among other things, which was pressed from the seeds. Then, in 1915, a small, grayish, long, a snouted beetle from Mexico invaded the nation and spread oil all the way to the Atlantic coast. It literally destroyed cotton crops all over the south. It was a gloomy time for the southern farmers who lost almost everything that they owned. Many dis despaired and planned for bankruptcy. But in the main, they refused to blame God for the plague of boll weevils. Then a marvelous thing happened. George Washington Carver, a black professor at the Tuskegee Institute in central Alabama, discovered the value of peanuts and sweet potatoes. Well, I'm sure glad he discovered that because my wife makes a really good sweet potato casserole at Thanksgiving. And replenishing soil fertility, southern planters who had in many instances been ruined by the boll weevil began turning to the peanut and sweet potato culture. Anybody been to Alabama when the peanuts are, are harvesting and they, you go to a store and you get your gas and they got a thing in there where they're selling boiled peanuts. They kind of remind me of red beans that they use with red beans and rice. I like them. Especially when Carver showed the many peanut byproducts he had produced in the laboratory. From peanuts he produced not only flour, molasses, and vinegar, but also cheese, milk, and coffee substitutes, synthetic rubber, plastics, and insulating board, uh, linoleum, soap, ink, dyes, wood stains, metal polish, and shaving cream. Now, I never knew that you could get uh, shaving cream out of a peanut. That is amazing. And anyway, within a short time, the town of Enterprise was booming again and was much more prosperous than when they grew cotton. The town council voted to build a memorial to the boll weevil for destroying their cotton. The destruction of cotton turned out for their good as they substituted peanuts for their cash crops. The boll weevil turned out to be a blessing rather than a curse. Isn't that amazing? I think that is simply an amazing story. And that's to tell you that many times there are disappointments that come along and you think it's the end. 
I should have brought a painting that I have on my wall that Richard Jones made for me when I was a, a home missions pastor in southern Louisiana, and he w had been in my youth group. Did you all know that? The man that airbrushed these beautiful uh, hangings, and he's done many pictures, I mean amazing uh, posters and such. Well, he painted me a picture of a man with colors on his sleeves like Joseph, the coat of many colors. And it showed him hanging on to a rope. He was at the end of his rope. And it shows the rope frazzled down to one little strand. And then it shows a dove coming. This is all in the painting. And then it has a light. So it's the light of the Word of God with the Holy Spirit hovering. And it shows a hand reaching through the light past the dove. And it shows a nail scar in the hand that's going to grab the rope where it's about to break. I tell you what, for a home mission pastor that didn't have very many people in his church, and I was wondering if I was worth two cents, and I got that painting as a Christmas gift that turned my mind around. And so he's been a very special friend, and I've been a special friend for him over the years. And uh, sometimes you feel like you're in a disappointment. I started that home mission church, and there was four of us, me, my wife, a friend, David Nevin, and his wife, Margaret Tranchina Nevin, and her father, her family owned the Raps luggage stores. Very wealthy family. They had many of these luggage stores across the South. And Mr. Tranchina took a liking to me and my wife and gave us a house to live in. Didn't give us the house. He loaned it to us. We didn't even have to pay rent. And it was right on Fountain Blue Drive, right in the uptown area of New Orleans. And so we lived there in that beautiful house in a beautiful neighborhood. And I would walk the neighborhood praying. I would ride my bike down to uh, Audubon Park where the zoo was and all the, the swans and the ducks would be there in the water. And I would pray and I'd ask God, please, Lord, send me some people. And wouldn't you know, lo and behold, we had a revival. And after nine months, I had 12 people. We grew 300% in less than a year. We had 12. It was an overwhelming experience. Uh, but I did have some good people. One was a great singer that used to sing in a Christian rock band that I managed. And another guy, he worked for... Uh, Zaps. Anybody ever heard of Zaps potato chips? And he would bring me boxes full of different flavors of Zaps. And, and I never was without potato chips. So it was a blessing. But I got to a point where I thought, man, I'm in the wrong profession. I missed it. I should have stayed in coaching and teaching. What am I doing? What did I think I was doing when I come down here to start this church? But lo and behold, when you know it, I got a phone call from Poplar Bluff, Missouri. And it was Brother John Snavely, pastor at First Assembly. And he asked me, he said, would you be interested in coming back to Poplar Bluff? And I almost said, well, uh, I'll, think, I'll pray about it while my wife's packing. You know, but uh, anyway, he invited me to come back and be his associate pastor. I led worship for a little over a year or two, and I, and I uh, was a youth pastor, and I was a Christian school administrator and principal where Brother Sherman and Sister Virginia had some of their grandchildren in the school. Um, that just shows how old I am, I guess. But anyway, we, we had a lot of kids in that school. When I left, we had 220 kids in that Christian school. One day we'll have another one. And we won't have 220. We'll probably have more like 500. And I tell you, not to brag or anything, I just know God wants a school of excellence in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. 
that teaches the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, and uh, so anyway, y'all keep praying with me about that, as I'm believing that it's going to happen, and that Xavier is going to come back and work with me in the middle of that school. That'd be awesome. Him and a few others. Anyway, we might see some sons and daughters return to the place, the land of promise. But anyway, I would maybe not ever gone here come here unless I was a little bit disappointed. I, I knocked on a thousand doors and introduced myself. I thought, man, I'm young. I'm a nice looking guy. I brush my teeth. I use deodorant. You know, surely with this award winning smile, <laughs> I would attract lots of people to our church. I don't know if I was overthinking it thinking too highly of myself or what. But anyway, you know that not one family, not one person came for me knocking on those doors. So sometimes it doesn't work for a reason. God didn't see fit to bless me to have a big church here. He wanted me. And the funny thing is, and this goes back to House Springs, Missouri, when I was associate pastor up there, before I went to start this new home missions church. I was associate pastor there. I was so excited I was going to go start a church. And the last Sunday night that I was there, they let me preach a farewell message. And when I did, there was people there that I didn't know. And this lady walked up to me at the end of the service. I'd never met her before, never seen her. Never seen her since, never heard from her, nothing. She looked to be old enough to be at least an older sister, maybe not quite a mother, maybe old enough to be a mother. Uh, but she came up to me and said, you know, I've got to tell you what I saw. I don't know who this is. I didn't know her name. I don't remember her name. But she smiled at me. You know how you s see those movies when it's an angel? And in the movie, the eye twinkles. It shows a little star ding. I swear that must have happened. But she looked right at me, and she said, I see a building full of children. And that is where your blessing's going to start. Well, I thought, great. I'm going to get a building down in New Orleans, and I'm going to have a lot of families and lots of kids. But it wasn't meant to be. The Lord wanted me to come here and have influence in people's lives. And, you know, when I left and went to South Florida, Sister Frances Gamlin, she died in her 90s, she wrote me a letter and said, You are so anointed to lead the Christian school. I wish you had never left, and I pray that you'll come back. And I thought about it. I said, all I did was pastor that school. I pastored the families. I had 50-something churches represented. See, God wanted me to experience something so dynamic that it would inspire me to go higher. You can go through disappointments. I was disappointed. That's why I rode my bike every day. I, we have swim bikes that still are in our garage to this day. I haven't rode them lately. I need to tune them up and try it. But I would ride that Schwinn bike every day. I mean, I would ride down those streets of New Orleans and go into that park and ride around, and I would pray, and I'd pray in tongues, and I'd just call out to God, and I'd ask God to help me. And it was almost like he didn't hear me. I know he was listening. But let's look at this story for a minute in John 11. And we see, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, 
Behold, he whom you love is sick. Isn't it great that Jesus always makes you feel loved? If you know him, you can't help it. You love him, and he loves you. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, for, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Isn't that something? Would that disappoint you? You have a, and I know there are people here that have experienced it this year. You heard your mom was sick, or you heard somebody was sick in your, your family. I remember Sister Di, I went up to the hospital, and Dennis was there in that room, and uh, she kind of whispered to me. She thought he was not going to last much longer. And I went over, and I called his name, and I patted him and prayed for him, and and. He always would kind of shake when I'd pray for him. He'd go, whoo, kind of like that. He would always feel the presence of God. You know. But we've had times where we wondered, God, you going to do a miracle here? What's going to happen? And so, but what happens when you hear your loved one sick? You don't stick around laying out on the beach. Jesus wasn't on the beach, but you know what I mean. You don't lay around somewhere else and wait two days when that person's on their deathbed. What do you do? You go to see them. You want to say a few last words. You want to spend just a little time with them before they go. But Jesus, he said, no, let's stay around two more days. I don't even know what they're doing. Doesn't even say what they were doing. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? You know, uh, Judea, Jerusalem, is in Judea. People wanted to stone him. They didn't like him. He was a threat to their position of authority and leadership spiritually. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day, more or less daylight? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. What's he telling them? Don't worry about it. We can see. We know where we're going. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So don't worry. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Well, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Thinking that he was just saying, Hey, he's, he's not gone. You know, he's not dead. He's just sleeping. He's resting. He's recovering. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So now they're a little shook up, I imagine. He's already dead. Why? Where are we going? We're going for the funeral? We're going to be a little late, aren't we? I don't even know how long it took them to walk there. I'm sure they were walking. Might have took them two more days. Because then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Oh, that sounds really lovely, doesn't it? Don't people say some of the stupidest things? You know, oh, let me go with you. <laughs> I'll die. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. 
Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Don't you think Martha made haste? She probably ran down there to see Jesus. Where was Mary? Sitting in the house. You think she was upset with Jesus? She's a little disappointed. See, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes things disappoint us. We don't know what the outcome's going to be. But we see Jesus said to uh, here Martha came. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Isn't that ironic? This guy has raised people from the dead already. He just spoke the word, and people were healed. He went over, and that little girl from the, the one leader, uh, she was dead, and he, he just told her to come back to life. And even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. That's kind of a nice religious thing, isn't it? Well, I know you're anointed. You know, God will give you whatever you need to. I just wish you'd been here, though, when he was sick. He wouldn't have died. Is there any boundary that Jesus can't cross? I had one of the guys in our church talk to me. He was wanting to go to the funeral that I was preaching. He is friends with the guys whose sister had died. And she had already been embalmed and everything. It had been several days. They were from Trinidad. And this guy comes to me and says, what do you think? I really feel like God wants me to go in there and, and command her to rise up and come back from the dead. And I said, brother, don't do that. I said, I believe that Jesus' words are true, but she was gone for more days than Lazarus, and she had already been embalmed. And he didn't walk with the anointing authority that I understood. I, it was just a strange situation. But I preached that funeral, and lots of people got saved. God caused many to get saved. But let's see what Jesus does. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last days, or at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Because we know our spirit, man, when we come to Christ, we're alive forevermore. And when the time comes, we're crossing over that shadow of death and there's no pain. I mean, we're instantly in his presence. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Anyway, do you see there? She says, yes, I believe you are the Christ. It's kind of like she can't quite make up her mind. We're not talking about Kevin McAnulty or Bob Hanschumacher or Dave Downey walking into the room, <laughs> you know, or into the area. It was Jesus the Christ, the living, holy, begotten Son of God. I mean, the one who had never sinned. He didn't have any error in him. He had no weakness in him. He was full of power. Oh, I long to be able to, to flow in more and more of his power. But you know what? We must decrease for him to increase. Too many people act like they are something, and they get hardly anything or nothing because they make themselves out to be something. It really is important for us to know that it's not in us. It, he lives in us, but it's not in our own ability, our own power. But these things only happen through the power of God. That's why we must stay humble. But he goes on. It says, 
And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. She was secretly calling. She didn't tell Jesus, I'm going to come with you. You know, people are so catty sometimes. Did you know Martha would get upset sometimes when Jesus and the disciples would come? And she even complained one time. She says, Lord, tell Mary to come and help me. I've been slaving in here trying to prepare things. And, you know, she was a worker. And that's honorable. But you know what? Sometimes it's just more important to not work so hard but sit at the feet of Jesus. Who are you? Are you a Martha or are you a Mary? I think she resented Mary a little bit. Yeah, Mary. Hey, the teacher wants to see you. Jesus didn't tell her that he wanted to see her. But Martha decided, I'm going to get her to go see him. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Mary really loved Jesus. She, he was just her world. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Isn't that cool? He wasn't in any hurry. The guy's already dead. He's already in the tomb. Jesus didn't have to hurry. He's letting everyone's heart be dealt with. Sometimes you're wondering, where are you, Lord? How come you haven't showed up yet? Your timing's not too good. We think he's late. We think he maybe he's never coming. And we get frustrated and we have anxiety and, and we're upset. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. And they had a lot of professional weepers back then. They'd come and grieve with everybody and boo-hoo and cry. But it says, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. Didn't she do that before? When she poured out the ointment, the expensive ointment, and wiped his feet with her hair? Man, what devotion. But she fell down at his feet again, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. You know, I'm sure he wrestled with, maybe I shouldn't have waited so long. It's been too much on them. It's too much stress. They're in anxiety. They're... They're, they're, they're really troubled. Hmm, why did I do that? And yet he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then we stop. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the whole Bible. Didn't have to say much more than that. Jesus wept. You know there's anointing in his tears. I mean, there's anointing in his spit. He spit in the mud and rubbed it on the blind man's eyes. He washed it off, and his eyes were opened. That was part of the mystique or legend about the Messiah, that he would have anointing in his spit. There's all kinds of stories about what the Messiah would be like. But he wept. He showed his humanity. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Boy, people get very critical when they don't see it happen in the way they think it should or at the time they think it should. We have a lot of Monday quarterbacks in the spiritual world and in the kingdom of God. You know, that's what you call critics on Monday of the game that happened on Sunday on TV. They want to tell you why the team lost and why the other team won. And they got it all figured out. And if they got a chance to coach, they could be the coach of the team. 
Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, well, take away the stone. Martha, this is the practical sister, the one that was a little persnickety. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, <laughs> oh my, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Isn't it great? My last Sunday in that church in New Orleans. I don't even remember the name of it now. I have to ask my wife what the name of that church was that we started. I'll think of it. Anyway, <coughs> excuse me. This always happens to me. The devil doesn't want me to finish. But I will. <coughs> Somebody say amen. <coughs> it's like a carburetor. You need to go out and gun it. Drive about 80 miles an hour. So, she said, you'd see the glory of God. They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes. He didn't even have to lift a rod like Moses. He just lifted up his eyes. And said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. There's a purpose when God heals somebody. It's to help them fulfill their mission, but also it brings glory to God and Jesus Christ. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. He was like a mummy. They'd unravel him. I've seen a mummy before in Cairo, Egypt. <coughs> saw King Tut's treasures. I went in that mummy room and there was sarcophaguses in different glass caskets, if you want to call it that. It was very cold in there. They had to keep the temperatures low. <coughs> My hands began to swell. I told Dr. Martinez, I said, I'm getting out of here. There's too many demons and I walked out of that place. When I went outside, my hands came right back down to normal, and I could take my ring off. There was demons all over the world. Did you know that? Well, anyway, he told him, and a lot of the scholars, sometimes people say, well, you know why he said Lazarus come forth? If he had said come forth, the whole graveyard would have rose up and came out of the graves. That eventually did happen, by the way, when uh, Jesus came out of the grave. God shook the whole land and a bunch of dead people came out of their graves. It's kind of hard to say it didn't happen when Uncle Charlie or Uncle Billy or Aunt Susie was out there walking around. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them, the things Jesus did. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered counsel and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. And if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. In other words, they're going to take our jobs. They're going to say we're not needed anymore. Just go to Jesus. 
So, one of them said, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish? He was prophesying. He was corrupt. He was just a religious bigot leader. And yet he ended up prophesying. What, should one man die for the whole nation? Yes, he should. And he did for the whole world. Now this he did not say on his own authority. Isn't that something how God will use somebody say a prophetic word to you that isn't even righteous? They tell you something and it makes sense. Not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. I think it's very interesting, seeing if I want to say something else out of that. But, you know, the facts present themselves. And, you know, Jesus, he was very powerful, but he also disappointed people because of the timing. He didn't do it their way. He didn't acquiesce to their you know, crying out, whining, wanting things a certain way or certain timing. But I'll tell you what, when Jesus says something, it happens. It's real. That's why I have faith in the vision God's given me since 1985. We're going to see it happen. Why? Because when God says it, it happens. I asked Brother Gorman what he thought when I told him about the vision I had. He said, son, if that was the Holy Spirit and he told you that, it's going to happen. I told Brother Summerall about it and even showed him properties and whatnot. He said, if God told you that, believe it. It's going to happen. Randy Lechner, Jewish prophet from Jacksonville, I told him. He said, it's going to happen. Then we had different ones prophesy the word of the Lord here. Diane Palmer. My goodness. You know, sometimes we're disappointed. Why? Because it didn't happen. Or it hadn't happened yet. I always add that word yet at the end. Because I know that I know that I know that it's going to happen. Things are going to happen in your life. And you're going to be discouraged. You're going to feel destroyed. You're going to feel disappointed. But don't live in that place. Forgive. You know, Mary and Martha, they needed to even forgive Jesus for showing up late. you got to move past that place where it's such eggshells that you're always having to be forgiven or you're always having to get forgiveness. You know, that, you know, in the kingdom of God, we just can't seem to function because our feelings get hurt. We need to get over those feelings. Because when Jesus does arrive, it's kind of like that baby after nine months I was over at Alicia and Sean's the other night. We stopped by for something. I forget what it was. We stopped to bring her tennis shoes back to her that she left at the house. And we sat down and she was talking about how she had thrown up that day. I, I don't want to be graphic. But you know these women that get pregnant. I'm so glad I'm not a woman. You know. But our wives, they go through some stuff just to have a baby but you know what I've never heard Danielle tell me 
but she doesn't want to have another baby. You want to have another one, don't you? Yeah. She ne- she never said, "Oh, the pain was too much." Man, going through that was just too great. Alicia went through it too in her delivery. And I always was so proud of my wife when Zach came, he showed up early. I'm telling you, we thought we were going to be there a long time. Two hours and 54 minutes later, he was laying on the table. And I was cutting the umbilical cord. I said, ain't this great? And uh, we went home. He got a little older, and then Alicia came. And then she showed up about four hours and 34 minutes. I said, well, it's a girl. Sometimes girls take more time, you know, to get ready. I said, well, that wasn't too bad. Then Nicholas, you never heard a country song about walking the floor over you all night? Well, that was what happened. We had to walk the floor to get him to come on out, you know. And then Chelsea wasn't as easy either. They got harder the farther we went into this thing. (laughs) And I understood when she said, that's it. Your dream was four, and I say no more. But, you know, when you're going through it, that's exactly what it is. You're going through it. And when you see that baby born, and you hold that little baby in your hands, maybe not everybody's have birthed a baby, but, you know, when you see a child come to life, you forget. The Bible even says so. It says, you know, when the baby comes, there's nine months, and then the baby comes, you, the mother forgets the pain. So happy to hold that baby in her arms. There's just nothing like the love of a mom, of a mother. And, uh, <coughs> you know, it's, you know, even, I know Randy was adopted. There's others that are about now. It's all right for me to say that, right? And yet, man, you talk about a guy who loved his mom. His adopted mom loved him. Randy Lechner and Kathy, they had one girl, and then she couldn't really have more, so they adopted six other kids, all different colors and shades of colors. He always told me, he says, Pastor Kevin, the more kids you have, the more you're blessed. And I said, well, that'd be great. He said, no, I'm telling you, every time we had another kid, I'd go sell a house and buy a bigger one because the money would come. He said, you're more blessed when you have these kids. But sometimes we get disappointed even by what our kids go through. But it's okay. God is going to work it out. I'm going to ask you a question tonight. How many of you, I don't want to make it bad, but sometimes we're impatient. But you've been disappointed. Hey, I'm raising my hand. I've had some disappointment. Man, I wondered, is this it? Is this when it's going to happen in my life? And yet, I'm still there. Sometimes we're in the doctor's waiting room waiting to go in. We want to find out what's going on. But God, Jesus is the great physician. When you get in there, finally, it's going to work out. It's going to be good. doesn't mean everything you go through is good, but the process is simply that. It's a process. It is a journey to allow you to arrive at a destination so that when you get there, less of you is a there. You're, you're more what God wants. You know, you can imagine. A baby has a hard time coming out. That, that process is difficult. That mama has to push that baby out. So sometimes it's just, it takes time. And I want to tell you, no matter how old you are, you just may be a little slower, but you are going to get there. So don't 
worry or be anxious for nothing. God's with you to deliver you. All right, put up your hand again if you've ever suffered disappointment. Lord, you see their hands. <clears throat> and I pray right now, God, that disappointment will not rule our hearts, minds, soul, spirit, or even bodies, but that we will lay our life down on the altar before you and say, Lord, do it your way. Have your way in me. I give it to you, and I ask you to lift me up and help me to endure the hardship all the way to the end so that I can receive the crown of glory that I can lay at Jesus' feet. I pray this in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah. God's working, isn't he? He's doing some stuff. Sheila's making a big turnaround. She's gone through the ringer for about four or five years now. But she's coming through and going to be gold. God said it's not silver, it's gold. He's going to produce in you the gold of God. Gold of the Spirit. Yeah. And because of that, the next year to 18 months, I'm just prophesying, is going to be a super time of great victory. And you will even find love for a man. Yes, it's almost going to be a surprise. But he's, got, he's been working on you to get you ready. But it is surely coming. Hallelujah. I was telling X a story when I was in Guadalajara this last year. I think it was in February or January and how I went to this church and I hadn't seen the pastor in like 15, 16 years. He got away from Paco, the pastor that I'm in biggest relationship with in that city. And they had a division. But they worked it out, and Paco smoothed it over, and they forgave each other. And so he asked me, would you go to Chavez Church? I said, sure, if that's what you'd like me to do. So Tino and I went over there, and Chavez's black hair turned totally white since I saw him. His wife was there. She was so sweet. She looked like she had tears in her eyes when she gave me a hug. And the son had grown up. He was a little boy. Now he's a grown man, almost 30 years old. And I thought, this is wonderful. And we had a great service. And before they introduced me to speak, she gets up and gives a testimony. She said, I want you to know to the people, said, this man is a prophet. Said, when I was unable to have another child, the doctors told me that I was damaged and I could not have another child. He came to the church. This is when he was Paco's associate and told me and didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. I don't know anything half the time. I just know what God says or tells me. She said, I walked by while I was preaching. I stopped and I looked at her and I pointed. I said, you will have a daughter. And I went on preaching. And I didn't ever know what happened. I don't know half the time. But when I went and preached that night, she pointed and there was a 14, 15-year-old girl standing over there. She said, there's my miracle. He prophesied it. I believed it and it happened. So you know what? Let it happen. Let God do the miracle. There's people here tonight that are truly believing and in need of a miracle in your life. 
How many are like that? You, you just, and I'm not going to ask you all to come up here, but you need something that is miraculous in your life. I mean, nobody but God could do it. I'm here to tell you your miracle is on the way. It's coming. Because this is a new season. It reminds me of that song. The, the one brother used to sing it. And then Diane Palmer would sing it when she was young. It's a new season. It's a new day. Fresh anointing is coming your way. Yeah, it's happening. I feel it. I don't know what you feel here. But I feel this little tingling in the atmosphere. And it's just moving over y'all like the Holy Spirit that when He brooded over the earth and it, and it began to form and come into its positioning, many things are about to occur. Yeah, many things are about to spring forth. Like Isaiah 43 says, it's a new thing. Can you not see it? For it surely is happening. It is there. It is here. Some of you are needing that miracle. Let me tell you, it's about that close right there. Yeah. I was preaching in Aguas Calientes, and a revival broke out. I preached, I guess, six straight days, went home to Miami. The pastor begged me. He was a Nazarene pastoring an independent church. And Tino, it was Sarah's cousin, and Tino brought me there, and I mean revival broke out. I'm talking about girls being baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and perfect English that couldn't speak English. I'm talking about people slain in the Spirit everywhere have to be carried out because they were so drunk they couldn't walk out. Eight churches came out of that one revival. He begged me to come back. I went and took up an offering. There was enough money. I took my associate, my youth pastor, Eliezer Hernandez, with me and went back. And we had another whole week of revival. And I mean to tell you, it was jam-packed, 10 people deep behind the seats against the wall. And I walked down that aisle. And when I went down that aisle and I stopped and I said, Why am I stopped here? And Eliezer, I don't know. I said, well, I don't know either. The Holy Spirit just said, stop. When I stopped and I was just watching, this man squeezes through the crowd, comes all the way up, runs up, and lays down at my feet, crying and weeping. He wanted to be saved. He was a drug addict. He needed to be delivered. And I saw these two ladies on the end. I said, Ellie asked them why they're crying. He said, why are you crying in Spanish? And they told him back. He said, that is our brother who we haven't seen in several months. And we've been praying for God to save him. I mean, he come through and the Lord stopped me and I stopped and he came right to that spot where his sisters were sitting. And I laid hands on him and he was gloriously saved and delivered from drugs. It was awesome. I said, who am I? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just walking down the aisle, stopping when I hear a word in my head say stop. Don't get in a hurry. Just as we go, let him do it. Don't get in his way. Lord, if you'd only been here, he had been alive. Man, you're talking to the guy that could raise the whole graveyard, much less Lazarus. I mean, they, they, it just boggles my mind. How can you not believe when you saw all these miracles? That's something that amazes me. That man died in Guadalajara in that service, and I called him back to life, and he snapped up and looked around. Everybody was watching him because he had died right in front of us expired I said you will not die you're not going to run this healing meeting tonight I command life back into your body <laughs> and he gasped 
and came back and his face went from white as a sheet to a nice rosy color. And I walked, I, I turned around with Isaac, walked back to the front, turned around, and all of a sudden there was about 100 people lined up for their miracle. Two blind people healed that night. One of them, he was crippled in the wheelchair, and I knelt down to pray for his legs. And they started rejoicing. I didn't know what was going on. Did he move? What happened? I asked Isaac. He talked to him. He said, Pastor, he's in a wheelchair, but said he was blind, but his eyes opened when you prayed for him. I said, I wasn't praying for his eyes. What is this? I was praying for his legs. I want him to get up and walk. I didn't say that, but God opened his eyes. He wanted to see more than he wanted to walk. You know, sometimes people's faith is like that. Believe. Know what he can do. Somebody in here hurting in your body right now? You're really hurting. Just ask him. I don't have a word of knowledge. Stephen, where are you hurting? Your back? You've been carrying him around a lot? That's part of it. Yeah? Well, I tell you what, just stand up right now. Come here. Just let me lay my hand on you. Probably didn't even have to, but I will. Where is it hurt? On your neck? Have they told you you're going to have surgery or you need surgery? You are? Well, Lord, let it be a miraculous thing that you knit the vertebrae together and you help those discs to be made whole and normal and go into the right positioning, right place, and that you would align his spine. I prayed for this little girl, 14 years old, and she had scoliosis. I put my hand on her back, and it went snap, crack, on pop. And when it popped, she began to speak in other tongues. I didn't even pray for her to get the Holy Spirit, you know. But God healed her. He can heal you. Yeah. Lord, just begin to align his spine and his neck and take the pain away. Let him have the best night's sleep he's had in months in Jesus Christ's name. Yeah. Amen. All right. Did it hurt right now? You are? But it was hurting before. All right. Well, we'll move around a little bit. Yeah. You do? Yeah, I do. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. Yeah. I got a testimony, too. About two weeks ago, I was, uh, I was having chest pain. I went to the VA because I felt like I was having a heart attack. And uh, I, I had my wife start praying over me. And then uh, I had a, the pastor pray over me. Everybody yeah. was praying over me. And the doctor had to look at the report three times because <laughs> they just didn't see what was. There was just nothing wrong. I'm thank, thanking Jesus for that. Yeah. Earlier, when when yeah. he asked if anybody had a testimony, the Lord was just nudging me to just to be obedient, just tell yeah. everybody about it, because I'm thankful to still be here. Amen. I am. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you need to dream. Go on and write stuff. How many of y'all do like I do? You go and you write stuff down on the paper. Yeah, I want to see that. I want to do that. Oh God, I want to see that. And that's that keeps your faith chugging when you write stuff down. Keep that vision in your mind. Yeah. God is so good. Stand with me. Hallelujah. I know we're closing out, but I still feel like I'm not really done. I, I feel like there's somebody that this message was especially for you. It spoke so strongly to you. 
And you know that's why you were here tonight. Yeah. Amen. You know, even if one, even if it's just, I know there's more than one, but, but, but even if one got it, it's worth it. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we love you, we thank you, we worship you, and we ask you to go with us as we go home. Let us have a great new year. Let us start out with a bang on Sunday morning. Empower Zach, Lord, and anoint him in a great way. Let him speak a word that just rattles the cages of people to believe for greater things. And I praise you for what you're going to do and what you've already done. We give thanks. Amen. All right. I won't dismiss you. I'll just say you can go when you want to.